was a nice exit, but it wasn't sort of the end-all be-all. I think it, inflation has been spiking uh, obviously higher, uh, and so I don't think that there was enough thought given to what future expenses would be for this individual. Ultimately, uh, what, what he's doing and what we've had to uh, jump in and help do is they're unwinding the charitable trust. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian D. Evans Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Christian D. Evans. Guys, we have a very special guest on today. As you all and I know, there will be some crazy stuff happening in regards to the market. But more, more importantly, it doesn't matter if it's up, it doesn't matter if it's down, it doesn't matter if it's sideways. The whole point is, is be able to have a strategic plan that you're going to stick with regardless of what happens externally. The best people always think 10, 15, 20 years out in, in there in regards to their strategy. That's the reason why this next guest on, he is, but in the industry for 21 years. He has acted as a trusted advisor to businesses, owners, and high net worth families providing financial planning and wealth management services to help them get the most out of life, out of their wealth. He's prior to joining the current company he has now, Morton Wealth. He served as the Director of Investment Research for Georgiana Asset Management and SEC Registered Investment Advisor in Santa Monica. He's also worked as a Director of Operations from May to 2000. Uh, so he's been through the markets from 2000, obviously, and onward. So we're very excited about having him Please welcome Certified Financial Planner, CEPA and CFA, my friend, Senior Vice President and Wealth Advisor at Morton Wealth, Joe C2. How are you doing today, Joe? Hey, Christian. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. And man, you've got a voice for radio. So uh, that, that was a phenomenal introduction. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, Joe, I really look forward to this conversation because like I mentioned, you know, what I found so interesting about the background that you have in regards to your thesis and the experience and expertise in this industry, you've been through ups and downs all over the market, all over the crazy thing. And, you know, you work with a lot of businesses and uh, business owners and a lot of high net worth. And Joe, I want to ask you, just get a real quick heartbeat on what you're seeing right now in the market uh, and, and obviously what you're sharing with your clients um, before obviously this is happening and post. Yeah, I mean, it's a great place to start. We've obviously, we had a phenomenal run for a long time with interest rates. The story's been interest rates, especially over the last you know year or so. Rates, uh, you know, really post-great financial crisis have been, you know, at generational historic lows for, you know, the for a decade plus. And so for a long time, right? I mean, publicly traded stocks, crypto, real estate, I mean, everything was going straight up. Um, really pretty much uninterrupted. I mean, we've had a few hiccups here and there, but they were relatively uh, quick um, sort of bounces back, uh, sort of back up on the trajectory. And, and that, that's really changed, right? I mean, inflation has really started to get people to rethink what's going on. Um, you know, we really haven't had substantial interest rate hikes for really for about 40 years. Um, and, and so, you've got a lot of just a, a sort of a different regime that people are dealing with now uh, that we haven't for quite some time. Um, and so obviously there's a sort of a risk off, I think, mentality that's really taken a hold um, uh, of the markets. And so, you know, we are seeing some pretty interesting opportunities in the credit space, both in the private markets and in the public markets. Uh, and I would say from the equity standpoint, um, we've been pretty much underweight to stocks for quite some time. And, th and that certainly hurt us in 2021 uh, and in a few years before, but uh, it certainly boded well for us last year. 
um, across the portfolio. You know, what I find interesting, uh, you mentioned obviously in 2021, you, you missed out on that, you know, boat, if you will, um, in regards to obviously the, the, the public markets. I'm curious, though, holistically, because obviously we, we can't time the market correctly. Nobody can. Um, mm -hmm. Would you rather take that lock in anticipation that, hey, you know what? Now we're still out of the market. We're fine because obviously in 2022 and obviously now it, it lost, you know, today it lost 500 points, et cetera. So I'm just curious in the context of the whole thesis yeah. of these clients, the way they way to sure. look at it, you don't obviously incrementally look at that one year kind of uh, potential loss. You look no, at what, not what did we gain in that. I'd love to get your perspective on how you look at that. Yeah, I, and I appreciate that. Let me, let me just sort of backtrack and, and say, I mean, we are not market timers. We're not smart enough to call you know, um, going in and out of the markets. I think everybody knows that's not really a great long-term strategy. In fact, uh, my my partner and CEO, he, he was like, we were at a, uh, our, our investor conference for our clients and uh, was said, you know, how many of us can raise our hands and name the best uh, five market timers in history? And of course, no one's hands go up because there aren't any. Um, what I meant by that though, just to, I think, uh, drill a little deeper is that we, we do hold equities in the portfolio, diversified equities, but they tend, we tend to overweight or underweight predicated different asset classes predicated on our view uh, of that. And so while we have uh, underweighted equities, it does not mean we have zero and that we're not market time. We just tend to, to underweight it when we think the risks are higher and the potential future returns over the, at least the near term look uh, less uh, attractive. And then when valuations are a little more compelling, then we might overweight those asset classes. But that really comes down to calibrating for a client what's an appropriate strategy from an asset mix relative to their financial plan and their, you know, their goals and their values of who they are, coupled with really sort of their psychological and psychographic profile on, uh, on how they view risk, what's appropriate for them. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, I have a couple of clients who uh, their private equity, um, they're gentlemen who have done very well, they have some concentrated positions. And so if you look at their Morton portfolio, for example, they have a whole host of what would appear to be relatively conservative or alternative income-oriented investments. And so if you just look at that in isolation, you'd think, oh gosh, that doesn't make sense for you know someone who's maybe in their 40s or early 50s or late 30s. Um, but we've obviously got to take into context their entire net worth and they have a lot of their growth assets outside of us that are very deeply concentrated on uh, the public markets and in growth uh, oriented investments. So this is what I find interesting about this market real, real quick is you are adjusting a lot of individuals portfolios to play defense more so than the offense, right? Instead of getting that like, you know, rate of return and things like yeah. that, it's, it's really adjusting, like you mentioned, more of a securities where it's like consistent, sustainable return. It may not be the mm -hmm. sexy 22, 23% yeah. return, but just that kind of paradigm shift. Now I'm curious, what do you, with that being said, how do you help your clients kind of restructure that framing in their head to ensure that hey this is a different market it's not about returns uh, as much as it is about you know uh, preserving that wealth that you currently have yeah so i mean for every client it really comes down to i mean i think investments fundamentally what what all too often people because it's the sexy thing to talk about and it, because it's always on the news in front of us every single day i believe it's really the investments have to serve a greater purpose, right? They are the execution of the larger strategy. And so what you have to tie it back to is really what we're doing is master planning, life planning for individuals. And 
really what is it the things that they want their life to look like and what are the resources they have and the obligations they have right so their assets their liabilities their sources of cash flow income and then their expenses right how are they sustaining themselves that you're taking the time to map that out thoughtfully that you're doing it also with taxes in mind that we're looking at estate planning components as well right so their trust assets if there are other entities that hold assets that they're the beneficiaries of how does that play into their financial picture so that you really are getting um, you know this word thrown out a lot but uh, this idea of a holistic view of an individual's life so that they can we can with them partner and come up with tangible goals that really are like mile markers to be the barometers and, and ways to judge success along the way that is very much personal to them, that speaks to who they are as an individual and their core values, that is different than, hey, did I beat the S&P 500 last year? Because if, if the latter is all people are doing, then there is always some new shiny object or investment that is out there that people will pivot towards because they either have FOMO or they're allowing their emotions to, to drive their decision making, which is exactly what we don't want to do which is why we wanna lay the foundation around really taking the time to get almost a vivid vision, right, of what, and I use that word that I think is one of your friends, Cameron Harold, which I love that book, by the way, but I, I, I like applying it to what we do, which is what is it the things that they wanna see in their lives that let them know they're living their best life? Once we have a clear picture of that, then it's much easier to start to craft the investment strategy and the tax strategy and the insurance strategy, risk management and the estate strategy around execution of what that vision looks like. So it's, it's not dissimilar in a way to how you might set up a business, right? You have the vision, you have the operating system, you have the right team of professionals, the management. And if you almost overlay that to your personal wealth and how you're managing that, there's a lot of alignment and similarities to how I think people, the people who do it right and, and do it well, they approach it in, in that sort of same methodical manner. So this is interesting because we were talking a little bit offline before this conversation where, you know, some of these individuals are facing a liquid event where they want to exit at some point. That's the kind of the dream and then buy yourself a big sure. event, et cetera. But I like what you're saying in regards to building that master plan. Now, Joe, I didn't have one of those big massive exits, but one of the things that I learned when I had my exit, I realized that I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't know what I didn't know, right? The only thing I knew was the the, the, yeah. the business that I ran and that was it, right? Then all of a sudden now it's sure. uh, having someone like yourself and Morton Wealth and their team to come alongside me and saying, well, how do you want to allocate you know this nine figure wealth, this mid nine figure, you know, outside of taxes? And well, what kind of trust do you want to use and all these different instruments and vehicles? So Joe, I would imagine you mentioned, of course, starting with the end in mind, but what is that methodology? What does that process look like to help someone kind of think, okay, well, there's a lot of different avenues that we could dive into, a lot of different vehicles that we could use. What does that look like? Uh, like, you know, we're starting the end in mind and then reverse engineering, of course, and building out the right master plan, like you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I think first you gotta, part of it is it's an evolutionary process. So certainly, um, you need to start again, I think, with what is it that's really important to the individual. And oftentimes you can start with sort of the basic blocking and tackling, right, around 
what's just your baseline basic needs, right? Sort of to live your day-to-day life, make sure that, you know, you and, and the wife or your spouse or your husband you're taking care of, if you have kids that they're taking care of. So like, who are your dependents? Like many of us have older parents, like for example, my mother-in-law lives with us, love her, but it's something that like my wife and I were blessed to have her in our lives, but like, you know, we, we feel an obligation to take care of her. And so many of, of sort of young baby boomers and Gen Xers, even maybe some millennials have done well, like perhaps they have parents, right, that need to be taken care of because as we know, retirement readiness in this country isn't particularly uh, great. So there's, there's some baseline conversations that can be had around, I think, just sort of uh, your everyday needs, right? Uh, and some basic estate planning and some basic insurance planning and tax planning can all go around that. Then as someone has you know, more sophisticated, you know, I even hate to use the word sophistication, but more complexity related to their lives, part of it I think comes down to how much time and energy are, do they really want to devote to these things? And to, for example, like is impact in the community something that just speaks to who they are? And you start to, you know, I think, bring the resources to the table to help educate the client around the trade-offs that are related to setting up a foundation, setting up a donor advised fund, setting up a charitable remainder trust, right? If it's on the charitable side. Um, there's other ways, for example, that they may want to give, give impact and have impact in the community. And it can go beyond just dollars and cents, right? Um, so those are, those are the kind of conversations you're starting to have to, I think, again, create just a general vision, right, around the directionality that someone wants to go, right? Is education planning super important, not only for their kids, but maybe for the grandkids, uh, for, for other people, family members in the community or within the family that are important or uh, friends in the community, right? So once you just kind of have a general vision of where uh, this individual wants to take it, then you start to get a little more specific, okay? Is there a certain dollar amount that needs to be allocated? Is there a certain time frame in which somebody wants to get these things done? And then I think one of the critical things that is really important that I've come to realize is I don't know all the answers, right? But I'm pretty good at going to find other experts in the community and uh, and, and bringing those resources to the table, right? To work together as a team to help the client execute their vision, right? And so again, it's a little like take, putting a puzzle piece together and you're, you're building layer upon layer upon layer um, and keeping the client informed and really partnering with them along the way so that they have buy-in, that they feel confident really in the decisions that they're making, that it's their vision, not my vision, not the other professional's vision, right? We need to be careful that we're not in, uh, sort of imposing our own decisions and values on that individual. Um, so yeah. That makes sense. And so I'm curious if you could, you know, without saying your client's name or, you know, obviously financial situation, but I'd love to get maybe certain, certain case studies of like, hey, this is what happened. Yeah. This is the situation. This is what they were thinking in regards to, like you mentioned, complexities, right? There's a lot of vehicles, a lot of instruments. Yeah. And it's it's funny because as you start networking and engaging with other individuals that have had exits, they're like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, let me let me talk to my people, right? And see if we could structure the same thing. So love to dive into maybe certain situations or situational complexities of yeah. your of your clients yeah I mean I'll give you one example that I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with now this was a client who while we we helped after the fact um, he did some planning without us with another advisor and I, and I imagine the advisor did an okay job but they set up a charitable trust 
um, a charitable remainder trust. And the tax benefit spoke to this individual. He's also very philanthropically inclined. But I, what I think sometimes happens is people get enamored with certain attributes of a particular strategy. The fact that you're going to get a tax deduction, right? Or whatever it might be. The fact you're not going to pay a state tax, right? Um, the fact that your name's going to go up on a, on a building. And while those things are interesting and compelling in the moment, what oftentimes I think doesn't get explained well are the practical realities of the ongoing management and administration of some of these more complicated issues. And where I'm going with this isn't for this particular client, um, what, what has happened, and it was a nice exit, but it wasn't sort of the end all be all. I think it, inflation has been spiking uh, obviously higher. Uh, and so I don't think that there was enough thought given to what future expenses would be for this individual. Ultimately, uh, what what he's doing and what we've had to uh, jump in and help do is they're unwinding the charitable trust. Um, and so that's just creating an additional layer of complexity. Yeah, um, uh, because ultimately, again, there's some intricacies that were involved that I don't think he really understood upfront going in, going into the transaction. And so. That's where I really think that if you're going to get involved in, in a variety of different complex, complicated structures that we need to explain not only the benefits of them, but again, the, like the practical realities, the ongoing just realities of how these structures work so that clients go into it uh, eyes wide open. Well, one of the other things I'll, I'll touch on though, separate, that's maybe a little bit more positive though, and this is, this is a client that I'm dealing with right now that uh, and the fortunate uh, interest in working with him in, um, where for the owners, I think it is beyond just the technical that I find that gets so overlooked that I'm actually really passionate about spending time on is the personal identity piece of it. Because I think for most owners, if we think of the three legs of the stool, right? You have the business, right? You have their, their personal planning, their goals, but then you have them as an individual and their identity. and. You know, you can hire good CPAs, a good estate attorneys, good wealth advisors, a good investment banker and, and transaction attorney to sell the business. But the piece that gets overlooked time and time again is the, the identity of the owner of what they're going to do after they no longer are the, you know, uh, the, the, the one calling the shots on that business. And for so many... And, and it is hard in the moment while they're trying to get a transaction done or while they're, you know, grinding and growing it. And, and so many people, I think, love that, right? It becomes th this adrenaline of like the successes and it's building and, you know, there's people are drawn to that. I think entrepreneurs are, are drawn to that. But afterwards, there oftentimes I find is this sort of emptiness and loneliness, a lack of fulfillment that people go through a bit of a mourning process. The ones who, in, in this one in particular that I'm thinking about, um, he's having to do a lot of soul searching around what, is he gonna start another business? Is he gonna get into, you know, start really involved in, in charity because he is very civic uh, minded, community minded? Is he gonna run for public office? Is he going to, you know, what is that next chapter going to look like? So I highly encourage people and owners specifically to find someone who is a professional coach that um, whether it's a therapist a professional coach somebody who can help them you know something I, I'm reasonably skilled in as well as an advisor to really give a lot of thought to 
how they're going to spend their time, what they're going to do to find purpose and meaning really once again they've exited the business because it is something that I think oftentimes just gets so overlooked. So with that being said, um, and, and I, I definitely agree on that. So when you're having a conversation in regards to when they're looking to exit at some point, you're having these conversations prior to the exit so that you can you know, anticipate some of these, these you know, kind of uh, post-mortem kind of situations a little bit where it's like, hey, you know what, I, I had my baby, cool, now all of a sudden there's this kind of you know, emotion, this identity a little bit. So Joe, with that being said, how do you help them? Kind so of let me apologize, by the way, because I... So the short answer is I would love to have those conversations all the time. The kind truth and the reality is while there are some, it's amazing how many times we get hired like at the time of the transaction or after the transaction, right? And so, yes, I would love for it to be 100% of the time that it's before the transaction. And I'm really, you know, that's part of the reason why I've gotten so involved with the Exit Planning uh, Institute. Uh, become a certified exit planning advisor. I started a chapter. I've started a podcast on it. I became an owner in this firm in 2014. So I'm just throwing that out there in terms of full transparency because it's uh, it is something I want to do more of. But oftentimes, part of the reality is the kind truth is that many owners don't have a wealth advisor involved ahead of time. And in fact, one of the things that we've done, part of it is I think there's a misalignment in our industry where because most advisors right care about assets under management. And we've actually created an offering that's a flat fee consulting offering that does liquidity planning, exit planning ahead of the transaction because I believe, you know, I care about assets undervalued, which is the owner and their business, because that's where we can have the most impact. That's where we can have the most impact from an estate planning perspective generally, from a tax planning, from a wealth management planning, and I think, again, from an owner holistically, do, you know, doing thoughtful planning. 24 to 36 months ahead of the transaction. Why do you think some do not uh, come to you prior? Because I was guilty of doing yeah. that. That's why I'm so passionate about this and bring right? it to my audience yeah. and so forth. Is, you know, nobody told me. So, of course, I was just like, oh, let me get the check and then let me go talk to someone. But it, there is a yeah. lot of benefits. I, but I want to ask you why psychologically and two, um, obviously, making sure that, you know, the benefits of, of doing it prior to the exit. Yeah, so, you know, like I think one is, again, historically, the industry is set up where it's generally geared, right, towards assets under management. And so by definition, right, there has to be liquid assets for a financial advisor to manage to charge a 1% fee. And so that's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about changing the paradigm to have an offering that can meet an owner where they are Certainly, we need to be, you know, um, you know, we got to be compensated for our time and expertise to to be there. But it's really where can we have the, mo the, the most impact? So I think that's part of it. I think that a lot of it too is the owners, oftentimes, especially if they're not at a level of professional management where they are truly more you know, lower middle market entrepreneur. They are so busy with their businesses that oftentimes it's like I just don't have time. And I, I, I respectfully think that that is not a great excuse. Um, not that all of this needs to be done day one, but I, but I actually even will meet, when I meet like, you know, uh, I was having a discussion with an owner the other day and they don't have an estate plan. I'm like, we could talk about cash flow planning. We could talk about insurance. I'm like, that is number one. Like, so 
let me get you a couple of names. Let's get you somebody who's qualified. But you know, you're going to have a mess on your hands if something happens to you, right? Uh, you know, assuming they're married or, or if they're not. Like it's just it's going to cause all kinds of disruptions to the business. So let's just at least get that buttoned up, right? As step one. Then we can start talking about other aspects around this. Um, uh, again, ahead of the transaction. And by the way, I mean, I think the thing to point out too is that not everyone, their, their, their exit or their succession plan is ultimately to sell to a third party, right? I mean, it could be a family transfer, right? It could be, uh, you know, an ESOP. It could be transfer, you know, or sale to their existing partners. It could be some sort of dividend recap, right? It could be a transfer to the next generation of employees that are the up-and-comers, right, uh, you know, the rising stars in management within, within the company. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to, to, to skin the cat. Well, I think that's where it gets confusing almost because there's like so many different vehicles, so many different paths, if you will, to achieve a certain sure. outcome. And that's where obviously having <clears throat> someone like yourself. So it comes to my other point. Um, we talked a little mm -hmm. about this off offline. I want to bring this up because you are a big believer in facilitating the right team around you to grow your 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 wealth, right? It's the same concept for a lot of these individuals mm -hmm. growing, building, hiring the right team to obviously grow to that mid nine figure business, maybe a billion dollar valuated business, whatever it is, right? And they're really good at that. But the thing is, Joe, um, I'm guilty of this as well, is finding reactive. Uh, um, you know, people, team, then proactive people mm -hmm. that are coming to me and saying, Hey, let's try this strategy. Hey, let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead and deploy this X, Y, Z. Like you just mentioned, building that foundation of, of defense, uh, in that, in that situation, that, that estate planning, um, you know, situation, um, and, and not just being, you know, reactive. So let me help me understand Joe in regards to with those audience members that are thinking, Hey, I think I have the right team members but maybe certain red flags that they should be aware of or certain green flags that say, hey, maybe this individual is the right or maybe you guys need to talk to Morton Wealth and their team. Yeah, I mean, I think one is, look, is part of it is, you know, I think generally speaking, we are loyal as human beings to people that we have relationships with, right? And I think that there is, that is, I like that. But I also think that we also have to be honest with ourselves around as an individual grows, a business owner grows, that the professionals who serve them at a certain point in their career, that they may outgrow them, right? And that's okay, right? And because like, you know, I'll give it a perfect example. I'm talking to an owner right now who's going through an exit and he has a financial planner and the, the exit just occurred. He talked to his financial planner and his advisor, and he said, hey, how many clients do you have that have now the same kind of net worth I do? And his planner told him he had one other client like him. Everybody else was substantially lower. And so that, and I think he's asking the right thing. He was saying, you know what, I, I, he just doesn't, and, and it's not an indictment on him. It's just, you know, we have different experiences and different skill sets in dealing with situations and complexities and familiarity with the challenges that a certain set of clients we generally you know work with um, so i think that is one thing that an owners need to really start to evaluate is when they're assessing their team is not just that they're somebody who's known them and has been with them and has been loyal but are they the right 
skill set and the right person for where that owner is in their life. And by the way, it's no different than how they're evaluating their management team internally, right? And so, um, you know, you may be an owner and you may have a CEO who's professionally running your business that you're the owner of, and they've done a great job up until that inflection point, but you know as well as I do, right, if you've got a business that's doing $100 million in, in, in gross revenue and you're trying to get it to $500 million, right, you're likely dealing with a very different skill set, right, in terms of management strength, complexity of the business, right, building the infrastructure, how you communicate the core values of the company, that, that's going to require perhaps a different CEO who's got different chops and experience than one who's successfully taken it from, you know, maybe 20 million up to 100 million. So the same kind of concept applies with your, you know, I think your professional teams on your, your tax attorney, your wealth, you know, your wealth advisor, your estate attorney, you know, your, your insurance professional, um, even for your investment banker and business brokers that are going to get into the mix, um, the corporate transaction attorneys as well. And so they may have a history of, a, of an attorney that's been their sort of corporate attorney, but is that somebody that, that does more just general business contract law versus somebody who's a true specialist on M&A transactions, right? And at that size level. <clears throat> That's kind of what you're looking for. Does that answer bit. the question? <laughs> it does in regards to each team member. Okay. So it's like maybe having that that mm -hmm. kind of direct conversation with the current wealth manager and say, hey, how many other clients sure. do you have? How familiar are you with dealing with this kind of, you know, kind of uh, larger yep. kind of net worth? So once you're able to get that data, then you're able to say, okay, well, we can get a, a good feeling. Hey, I want to work with, you know, Morton Wealth. That obviously are very yeah. familiar with it. Same thing with those other team members as well. Those are kind of questions or conversations you need to be having. And then on a more micro, you're looking for individuals that don't have more of a general practice, more of very specific, um, uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're looking at, you know, specialist, exactly, thank you for the word, uh, for like charity or a foundation, et cetera. Uh, and that's correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Is that correct? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a good way of putting it. And I think one of the things that, you know, we, that's one of the things that we, we do as well is we will help an owner evaluate their their team if they need help. Because sometimes it's like they're not really sure how to go about the conversation. Um, they're maybe afraid of, you know, hurting someone's feelings. They're just not sure the right questions to ask. They don't know if, or they may even make a determination, hey, look, I, I, I like Bob. He's been a great CPA. But you know, I don't know where to go to turn to for somebody else, so maybe I'll just stick with Bob, right? It's almost like we as humans in many ways, right, default to the path of least resistance. So if, if I can't find somebody, then let me, let me just stick with Bob. Well, and that's that's why I wanted to bring someone on your, like yourself that has those conversations, those dialogues. Because yes, relationships, loyalty, but sometimes loyalty can get in the way of you know progression for your own own wealth and your own business and so forth. And and, and also you sure. can get in trouble with the IRS if you don't know what the hell you're doing, you know. <laughs> so, uh, Joe, I want to ask a little bit. <laughs> now they got eighty-seven thousand new agents, right? <laughs> Exactly. Let me ask you this in regards to uh, specifically with different trust. Okay. Um, I know there's a mm -hmm. lot of different trust, a lot of different vehicles out there. I'm talking about like, let's say for example, someone is obviously at that older age. Okay. 70, 80 mm -hmm. years old. They're obviously looking and thinking about their kids and their obviously grandkids and so forth. Um, with that context, the reason why is because obviously my dad, this is just more of a selfish question and so forth, but I'm just curious in regards to what that looks like in regards to just generic 
conversational um, you know strategies that you would be telling your client at that age saying hey, okay hey this is what we should be putting in these are the pillars that we should be established and these are the kind of instruments that we're going to be using uh, for your your children and obviously uh, their children yeah, so a lot of it comes down to, you know, we actually have an in-house estate attorney, Brian Standing, who I'm very fortunate. I've known for a number of years, and he joined our firm, and he's he's great at, you know, coming in, and, and I've learned so much from him. And I think at a high level, it really comes down to the discussion around what is it that the client wants related to, like, there, there's obviously discussion around, you know, assuming you're above the exemption limits, which are really reasonably high right now for, for many individuals, right? Roughly, you know, 13-ish million a person. So there's obviously a state tax savings conversations that need to be had and maximizing those, those attributes. Um, <clears throat> coupled with, like, how much control, right, do you want to have sort of from the grave what flexibility do you want to build in for your beneficiaries, assuming that are they going to be the trustees or not, right? What's their ability to be the trustee of, of some of these trusts? Is it appropriate, right? Is this, is this how, and obviously different states have different laws related to, you know, laws against perpetuities, so, and, and creditor protection. Um, so it, it does depend on what state you're in as well. And certainly you can set up trusts in, in, in different states and different jurisdictions where you need specialists. But again, it comes back to really better understanding what specifically the client is really trying to accomplish, but also I think making clear to them that there is no free lunch, right? That inevitably everything comes with some trade-off. And for example, a lot of times these, these trusts, you're giving up some level of control for the, some, of the, some of the benefits that we're talking about. And so it's, right, I think all too often sometimes clients think they can have their cake and eat it too, right? And so if that's where I think making sure that they really, it's not only people who are technically proficient, that, that can, that, but that they're also excellent communicators, that they know the right questions to ask and that they can understand like where, what a client's thinking, what they're trying to do, but does the client really understand the nuances of what we're setting up? Again, not only today, but the practical implications of, right, filing separate tax returns, filing crummy notices, you know, <clears throat> making sure that we're following all the protocol that needs to be done uh, for, you know, for various, various trusts. Well, the reason why I bring this up is because my dad is at that conversation and I, you know, this is the first time where I was having this conversation with my dad, uh, you know, a few years back and I did not sure. realize all the little different faucets and little different things that you could adjust and modify. And it can be very custom depending upon obviously what you're looking for and how you want to adjust it. And uh, yeah. I, I have, I've talked to a lot of high net worth individuals uh, that have tremendous and I just always intrigued by how they structure it and how sometimes I look at it almost as like um, a water faucet where depending upon obviously if they jump over these certain hurdles, if they get a college education, if they do certain X, Y, Z, uh, more of the wealth right. is more controllable and I've noticed that as well. So you can structure this. Um, really dependent upon that client. Is that correct in regards to like the oh, flexibility? Oh, yeah, no, I think what you're bringing, yeah, I think what you're bringing up, right, is again, it sounds like what you're describing is situations where there's been really good communication around and, and, and the grantors had real clear um, criteria in mind of what they were trying to accomplish, right? Um, 
again, the, the, the only thing I would throw out there is that while the, those structures can be really interesting, right, they also can be, there's a complexity to it, right? And there's oftentimes a, an embedded cost related to complexity. For some people, like simplicity is the ultimate. For some, it's like they want a lot, I mean, really what you're getting at is a level of control, right? Is that these thresholds have to be met in order for, you know, the beneficiaries to get these distributions, presumably, right? And so it's, it's around incentives and control. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's just a good conversation. I know we could riff on this for quite a while. Joe, I really appreciate you sure. just being on our, on our podcast and just unpacking just also just the, the concept of, of, of our identity, you know, in into these businesses. And then obviously having that conversation, having that dialogue outside of it, you know, external from, you know, the wealth creation, uh, but also understanding the paradigm that's happening, you know, as, you know, business and as the market goes up as it goes down whatever it may be you have to adjust according to either playing offense or defense mm -hmm. uh for those that want to reach out and you know have more conversations that are sitting there and saying okay well my financial advisor is it where they're at and we need to obviously you know level up um where where can they reach out to you and, and how can they you know, yeah. uh, you know continue the conversation totally uh, christian yeah so i'm on linkedin joe c2 uh, and also, you can feel free to email me, jc2 at mortonwealth.com. Uh, it's probably the easiest way to, uh, to get a hold of me. Um, yeah, probably those two areas. Awesome, guys. And those links will be in the description below. I'll put his LinkedIn. I'll put Morton Wealth down there uh, as well. And then, uh, Joe, I really appreciate you making yourself so available where you put your email. So I'll make sure I'll put that oh. email down there. Uh, and, guys, again, oh. what I would recommend doing is having these conversations, those, that dialogue. Uh, it's a tough conversation sometimes you have to have. It's a buddy from college that you've always known that, you know, manage your wealth, you know, and dividends. And then, obviously, having that next conversation, that dialogue, you need to obviously take to the, talk to more NFL players, people that have been there, had hundreds of transactions. It's the same concept of like that whole you know uh, surgeon surgeon uh, analogy right do you want someone that just came out of grad school or do you want someone that's have you know 100 100 you know heart surgeons under their belt that they've done of course and we all know belt, yeah that, you know and so uh, uh for i always love to ask my guests before i let you go fully joe um what uh because obviously you've done very well for yourself you've helped hundreds upon hundreds of your clients uh really you know preserve and and, and level up and i always want to ask you know joe to be the person you are now, to be the man that you are now, to be the VP at uh, Morton Wealth, uh, what insecurities did you have to overcome to become that person, Joe? Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure how much time we have for that one. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, I think all of us, when we go out into the world and we're, especially, I think, in the wealth management industry in particular, Generally speaking, you know, I can remember my 20s, starting out in my career, and, and uh, you know, nowadays it's, it's it, you know, there's more, because of technology really over the last 20 years, it seems like, you know, you get these stories of a lot of younger, wealthy people. But back, you know, back in the day, you know, in the late 90s, because the internet was just really kind of starting to boom then, and like, the tech bubble obviously hit big at that time. And so that was just right at the start of what I really think became the, the forerunner of sort of the young wealthy um, that, that we think about in our, in our culture now. But up until then, I mean, predominantly it was older, you know, sophisticated people that either inherited it or that had worked their way up the ladder, the doctors, the lawyers. And so generally speaking, it was older, you know, older people. And so 
certainly I can remember, you know, early in my career feeling like, oh my gosh, like how am I going to talk to somebody and have them, you know, even take a modicum of advice uh, from me related to anything, right? You know, 22, 23, 24, 25, and this person's 40, 50, 60, whatever, you know, worth, you know, 10, 20, 30, 100 million dollars, whatever it was. Um, and so part of that just comes with experience. Um, that was part of the reason why, honestly, I did the CFA at such a young age for me was because I didn't have uh, the resources at the time to, I moved out to California on my own when I was 21. You know, I grew up very blue collar. Uh, my, you know, parents provided, you know, a nice, you know, uh, you know, a lifestyle, middle-class lifestyle. Um, but, uh, you know, I put myself through undergrad. I just wasn't in a position really to, to go to grad school. And, I, and honestly, I don't think I had that mindset for it. But anyways, I, I was like, oh, this CFA program seems kind of cool. I can do it, you know, on my own. It's, it's, uh, it seemed like the, the ROI on it dollar-wise was managed. Well, that, that actually helped me get a depth of level on the markets that <clears throat> um, definitely boosted my confidence. Um, and then what you start to realize, and I think I've realized as I've gotten older is number one, when we see people who think we, that, that like, oh my gosh, they haven't figured out. Well, the reality is like, they may be really good. Well, number one, all we see, especially with social media now is sort of their wins. We do not see all of their failures that they've gone through. And so the people that I have respect for and that I really I think almost admire are generally those who have taken their lumps, that they still have a degree of humility around it. And so they are the kind of people that I think have some grace and don't expect you to be perfect, that they will, they expect you to be honest, right? That, that you're gonna, you know, be true to your word, that you say if you're gonna do something at a certain time, you should do it, uh, th those things. So I, I think the, the quality of character to me is something that just for me on a daily basis I continue to really strive to continue to better in every sense of the word whether it's learning something but also again beyond the technical expertise you know I'm really into like you know self-growth and, and and you know self-improvement and things of that nature that I think you could if you learn those skills you can apply to anything in life personally so hope that answers your question a little bit. It does, man. It does. Well said. And there's just so much, so yeah. much golden nuggets there that you mentioned there at the last minute. Uh, guys, that is my friend, Senior Vice President and Wealth Advisor at Morton Wealth, the one and only Joe C2. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Evans Podcast. Until next time, be in common if you can't.